our study through Genesis. Today we jump into Genesis chapter 3. Last time in chapter 2 we saw that God rested on the seventh day to give us a pattern for work. We saw the creation of man and woman and we saw God's model for marriage. Today chapter 3 is huge. There's so much going on. Lots and lots of detail. Do go ahead and read chapter 3 then and we can jump in. We'll see the who, the what, the where, the when, the why. Some of those details that might not be explicitly obvious from a first read. So, Genesis chapter 3 begins quite ominously. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And here we see this: the serpent is speaking to the woman. He said to the woman, we know here through later interactions and we know here through how God addresses this serpent and how it played out through history that here the serpent is Satan, our great enemy, the, the deceiver. So he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So Satan's first attack is against the word of God. He's turning a positive or he's trying, he's trying to turn a positive into a negative. He's trying to contradict the word of God. You know, did God actually say that you shouldn't eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman, Eve, responds and says, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And here we see that Eve is so close, but yet so far away. She gives a partial truth. She doesn't give the whole truth. She doesn't name this tree like God did in chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. God said, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And Eve here says, you know, we're not allowed to eat of the fruit of the tree or even touch this tree that's in the middle of the garden. So she doesn't know by name, or it appears that she doesn't know by name which tree they're not allowed to eat from. And she's added on her own teaching to this, her own understanding. Neither shall you touch it. And in Matthew chapter 15, we read Jesus is talking and he's talking about the fact that people teach as doctrines the commandments of men. So here Eve has taken a part, part of what God has said, not quite what God has said. And she's added her own thoughts to it. You know, we're not even allowed to touch it. And as we continue, we read in verse 4, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So Eve didn't get the whole correct truth. And from that, we can see that, you know, we can infer that Adam didn't pass it on properly. Adam was told in verses 16 and 17, don't eat from that specific tree. Eve is then created after that. So therefore, the message must have come through Adam, so he failed to pass on the whole correct truth. And here in verse 5, you know, God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And is that not the goal of so many religions nowadays in the world? You will be like God. 
you will live the kind of life that you want. You will be empowered to do whatever you want and it'll all be about you and you will be the center of your own universe. But as Christians, that our goal should be to be like Jesus, fully obedient to the will of the Father, putting ourselves second to the will of the Father, leading through serving and just loving other people and it's not about ourselves so sadly then we get to verse 6 and we read so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate and Eve here is just yeah, she's been tricked. She's been deceived. She's looking at this stuff. She's looking at the food. She's looking at the fruit. It's good. It looks good. You know, on the de- on the surface, the desire to be wise is not bad. But but God has said, "Don't eat from that tree," because it's not just about being wise. This is the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in 1 John 2, verse 16, we read, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And then Eve passes some on, and Adam eats some too. And in verse 7, we read, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And again in chapter 2, we said that this was more than just being nude. Their nakedness was a complete openness and exposure to each other and God. And now they've realized this. They've realized that they're so open. They're so exposed. They're so open to sin. And they're starting to feel shame about it, about themselves, about their bodies. And we read in the second half of verse 7 that they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So they've tried to cover up their sin. They've tried to cover up their shame. And the whole narrative of God's word, the consistent message through God's word, is that as believers we are to cover ourselves in Jesus. We're not to cover up ourselves. We're not to to try and do good works, to, to outweigh the bad that we've done. We're, we're not trying to cover ourselves in, in, look at me, look how good I am, look how much I've done to try and cover over my sin and my shame. And if you read passages like Revelation 3, uh, Galatians 3, Isaiah 61, it's all about covering ourselves with the righteousness of our Redeemer and our Saviour. And then verse 8 is very, very interesting. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and the wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So we know because God's word tells us that God is, is spirit. And in John chapter 1, we read, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So no one has ever seen God the Father. And yet here we read, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they're trying to hide themselves from the presence of the Lord God. So here I would suggest that this is a theophany. 
This is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. We've got a physical presence of God walking in the garden that they can hear walking in the garden and that, that implies that there is some kind of physical presence walking in the garden and they try and hide from it and then this is just heartbreaking in verse 9 the Lord God called to the man and said to him where are you and this we can take this very literally that he cannot see he doesn't know where Adam and Eve are but this is God of course he knows of course he can see so then we start to think, well, what does it mean then? And this is just heartbreaking. His creation is now lost, they've sinned. There's, there's sorrow going on here. It's just that there's more going on here than I cannot physically see you. Of course God can physically see all that there is to see. Of course he knows where they are but he is just heartbroken that they're hiding from him. He's heartbroken that they've sinned against him. He's heartbroken that they've disobeyed him. And he's heartbroken that they're running away and they're trying to cover up what they've done themselves. And then Adam says, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He's afraid because he's sinned. He knows that he has sinned. He was told explicitly one-on-one -on -one by God don't eat from that tree and he knows that he's done that so there's shame and there's guilt and he's tried to cover up his shame he's tried to cover up his guilt himself again verse 11 is very interesting God says who told you that you were naked have you eaten of the tree of which I commended you not to eat now of course again God knows that they have eaten from the tree. Orthodox right theology would assert that God is omniscient. He knows all there is to know. God knows that they've eaten from the tree. God is omnipresent. He's present everywhere in his creation. The past, the present, the future. He's not limited to one location in space and time like we are. So he knows that they've eaten. Yet he says to them, have you eaten of the tree? And this, this is an opportunity for Adam to repent. This is an opportunity for Adam to say, yes, I'm so sorry. This won't happen again. Forgive me, Lord. And Adam's response, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. And again, this, is, this, this must just be heartbreaking for God. Here's this creation that he's made out of the, the dust of the ground, unspectacular material. He's breathed into him the breath of life. And here's Adam just passing the blame to, to Eve and to God. The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit. And then I ate it. He's putting himself last in the line of accountability. He's putting himself last in terms of whose fault was this? Why did this happen? He's, he's, he's passing the blame. The woman gave me the fruit and you gave me the woman. He's almost trying to put it back onto God. And then 
God turns to Eve, God turns to the woman and says, what have, what have you done? Why, you know, why? Why did this happen? What's, you know, what's going on here? And she says really simply, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And at least there's a little bit of truth there coming out of Eve. And then in verse 14, God turns to the serpent. There's no questions here. There's a question for Adam. There's a question for Eve. And he turns, God turns to the serpent and says, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And that's God talking to the serpent. And then in 15, it appears like God's attention and focus turns to Satan within the serpent. And he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So Genesis 3.15 has been, has been called the Proto-Evangelium, the first gospel, because this is the first time in God's word that we explicitly read there is deliverance coming from sin. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. There is offspring coming. There is somebody who will come as a man who will deliver us from the consequences of our sins. There is more to come. This is not the end of the story. This is not fall, sin and finish. We live in a fallen world and it's never going to get any better. This is the first gospel in the Bible. Deliverance is coming. And when God turns back to Eve, says, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. And if you talk to any lady that's given birth, they would agree with this. It's not an easy, simple, painless process. And bigger picture, this speaks to motherhood and to parenting. Bringing forth children, parenting is not an easy task. It's a difficult task. And God continues to speak to Eve and says, Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. So whereas just one chapter before, we see God's pattern for marriage. Two people equal in, in, in worth, in value and in dignity with different and complementary roles. Here now, post-fall, after sin has been introduced into the world, we see that a woman's desire is to be the master of her husband. On the other side of this, we read, he shall rule over you. So rather than two people working together in different yet complementary roles, as God has intended, we get, we get marriages, we get relationships where it's a power struggle. And I can't remember who said it, but marriage shouldn't be a power struggle marriage should be a power union it should be two people who come together acknowledging their different but complementary roles to glorify god to invite him into their marriage to seek him as individuals and as a couple and yet this this wonderful pattern for marriage that that god established that god brought that god gave to humans has been corrupted and has been marred by sin. And then in verses 17 to 19, God speaks to Adam and 
essentially because Adam chose Eve over God because Adam put something and somebody else first in his life above his own obedience and relationship with the Lord Adam receives these strong words from God as well so in verse 17 to Adam God said because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commended you you shall not eat it cursed is the ground because of you in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return and if we just pause and if we just think about this Adam has has disobeyed a direct commandment from God don't eat the fruit from that tree there because if you do you're going to die. We, we read, didn't we, in chapter 2, verse 17, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. God says the consequence for this, the consequence for, for rejection, disobedience, and sin will be death. And yet here in seven verse 17, well, yeah, 17 through 19, we see that God is a God of steadfast love and of mercy and of forgiveness because Adam is still alive. God says, look, you've eaten of the tree that I told you not to, so therefore the ground is now going to be cursed because of you. It's going to be difficult to grow and to cultivate food from the ground, whereas before it was just there for you. It was easy. It was, it was there for the taking. But yet Adam is still alive. Thorns and thistles that shall bring forth for you. No mention of thorns and thistles before. But yet Adam is still alive. And as we get to verse 20, we see the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And here, you know, we'd like to think that this is Adam showing a bit of faith in verse 15, that there is more to come. There is another coming who will redeem us from the consequence of our sin. So he calls his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And very interestingly, again, you know, verse 21, God made for Adam and Eve, Adam and his for his wife, garments of skin and clothed them. And this is representative, I think, of a, of a bigger picture, two religions two kinds of religions that we see in the world today. So Adam and Eve sinned. They knew that they sinned and they tried to cover it up themselves by making garments for themselves, uh, fig leaves they sewed together to cover up their nakedness and their shame. Here in verse 21, God made for them garments of skin and have clothed them. That means there was a blood sacrifice made for Adam and Eve. So we can either rely on self we can make our own fig leaves and try to cover our own shame. Or we can clothe ourselves in what God offers. And then verses 22 to 24, essentially, Adam and Eve are cast out of the Garden of Eden. This is the last historical mention of Eden in the Bible. And we read in verse 24, He drove out the men. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim 
and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So God is saying, and we read here, look, you've had the chance to live here. You disobeyed me. You can no longer eat of the tree of life, and therefore your life will come to an end. God said, didn't he, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So now you will experience a physical death because of your sin. But again, that first gospel in Genesis 3.15, there is, there is more to come. There is life to come. Somebody will come to defeat sin's hold over us, to restore things to how they were always meant to be. And of course, as, as believers in Jesus, we know that he is the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15, don't we? The last thing from, from chapter 3 then that's particularly noteworthy is the cherubim. The cherubim are angels always associated with the presence of God. We, re, we see them in Ezekiel uh, chapter 10, Isaiah chapter 6, Revelation chapter 4. And they're placed there to guard the way to the tree of life. And if you think about it, the fact that we do endure a physical death is again a wonderful display of God's mercy that we are not to live forever as sinners through what God offers us. We do have a chance to live forever in his presence eternally as was always the plan for his creation. But here we see sin introduced into the world, we see physical death introduced into the world and it's only by God's amazing grace and mercy that we are not to live forever as sinners. So that's Genesis chapter 3. Next time we'll jump into chapter 4 and we'll look at the story of Cain and Abel. And until then, God bless you.